the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Do you know the real story about Colin Kaepernick's decision to take a knee? Take a knee. Kneel during the anthem. Do you know it? I'm willing to bet that you don't know a very important detail about this story. But my next guest does because he, he is a major part of Colin Kaepernick's story, a major part. And you're going to hear the details, which are fascinating and probably most of you have never heard before. It's a, a really interesting story. And this guest, Nate Boyer, who played for the Seattle Seahawks for a stretch, has teamed up with Jay Glazer of Fox Sports to develop MVP, Merging Vets and Players, which actually takes, you know, our military vets and pairs them up with athletes. They both realize that at some point in their lives, they've got to hang up their uniforms, whether it's their military uniform or their football uniform or basketball or whatever it is. At some point, your life goes on beyond that. And who do you become? What do you become? Great movie out called MVP, which I watched last weekend. Nate Boyer is one of the co-stars and it talks about this exact dilemma faced by military vets who come home and then what? And by Pro players, even just college players who have just their entire lives have been about their sport and excelling at their game. And suddenly it's over. What do they do? Where do they go? What do, how do they become the, them, their next selves, if you will? This conversation with Nate Boyer is fantastic. You'll get the details on Colin Kaepernick, which is a, a story unto itself. And hear more about how vets and former players are way more alike than we thought. That's coming up. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world... Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Nate, it is great to see you. I enjoyed the film MVP. And as I was watching it, you know, I was I was taking in the importance of it, but I know when I've enjoyed a film because I think about it the following day and I did think about it the following day. 
what was your biggest hope, kind of the goal that you wanted to, to achieve with this? Well, first of all, thank you, Michelle. I really appreciate that. Um, that, that it definitely means a lot. I, I think, well, the biggest goal, I mean, sort of achieved by what you were saying, like I, I wanted people to kind of think about it, think about this experience, you know, from, from a veteran standpoint, from an athlete standpoint, and in some way be able to relate it to their own experiences. I mean, it's hard to compare, you know, anything to anything anymore. I think it, it's, it's also dangerous at times. Like you want to be real careful how you explain things. And when you talk about, uh, you know, a combat veterans experience and a former NFL player's experience, the first thing that even jumps in my mind is it's like, well, you can't, you can't compare sports to war. You know what I mean? And it's important to distinguish that that's not, the intent of the film and that's not what we do in the film and it's actually made pretty no. implicitly clear that's not what it's about it's about that that camaraderie that locker room that mission you know the structure uh, identity identifying with a uniform that you wear uh, and it becoming sort of your identity and then losing it at a pretty young age uh, you know a lot of uh, a lot of veterans a lot of athletes mid-20s and it's like if you feel like you've you've already peaked and, and you know, this is it. And I'll never be this good again. I'll never have this team again. And that's tough. So I want people to walk away with that understanding. Uh, um, but also that there's hope for everybody. I mean, when just because, you know, we've had some traumatic things happen in our life or we're going through a tough transition and it feels like all is lost and sort of hopeless that that's just not the truth. I mean, we are very capable people, veterans, athletes, any, everybody, human beings. Um, and we can start things later in our life and that's okay. And we can figure it out and we can still be great. I think that's what really hit me. You know, I've known a lot of athletes, pro former NFL players, current NFL players. And, you know, you acknowledge it's tough when they hang it up and what are they going to do next? And and you forget. And I remember a defensive line coach saying to me one time because he was concerned about the mental health of his athletes. This was a, a pro, an NFL defensive line coach. And he said to me, you know, they've got so much more life after football than they have during football. And that really struck and it stuck with me. It struck me and it stuck with me. So as I'm watching this character in your film, He's clear he's been cut, obviously, for a younger guy. And he is now wondering, what in the hell am I? Who am I? What am I going to do? And then you've got your character, the vet, who is has his own struggles. Uh, and they meet up, and, and though very, very different in a lot of ways, so similar in a lot of ways. And it's a really great connection. So I, as I mentioned in my pre-show, what the film talks about and really gets across the idea of your organization, your foundation, merging veterans and players. When did this start? How did you develop it? Give us sort of the, the, the thumbnail sketch of, of MVP. Yeah, definitely. Thank, thank you uh, again for, uh, for first of all, for watching the film, but uh, I'm glad it, I'm glad it stuck with you. That's important. Yeah. Um, you know, MVP started in 2015. So I, I, you know, I myself, I was in the army for about 10 years, um, spent all my time in the special forces, uh, loved it for the most part. You know, of course, there's difficult things we encounter, whether it's through training or, you know, losses, uh, loss of people is always the, the toughest thing. Um, but I, I, I had a good experience. I had a very good experience in the military. 
And it not only taught me a lot, it really developed me. I mean, I, I, I joined in my early 20s. And I don't want to say I was headed down a path of destruction. It wasn't necessarily that. I was just kind of drifting and not really sure who I was or what I wanted to be or, or like how I could make a difference in other people's lives. You know, I, I just felt like if I wasn't around, no one would. It's not that people wouldn't care, but it's just nothing would change. Like nothing would, you know, the, the trains wouldn't the, the trains wouldn't go off the tracks in any way. And that's like that's not a good feeling. Like we always we all want to feel like we not only belong but that we were making some kind of a difference and that we matter right. to other people. Like if we weren't around, you know, we're necessary. People we would miss be, us be, something. It would be different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the military kind of, they def, it definitely gave me that, but it also gave me um, these different mentors in my life. Besides I, I was, you know, I have two great parents. I love them to death. They taught me a lot, but I just always struggled. I think making the type of friends or having the, the being around the group of people that were, you know, productive, inspiring, like out there doing stuff. And I think a lot of it was because I felt like I didn't deserve it or like I wasn't good enough to be a part of that pack, you know, be a part of that group. So, and I think a lot of people do that. Uh, a lot of teenagers do that, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it makes it that much harder when you limit yourself, you know, and you, and you, and you get in your head that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be part of this group, you know, because I'm not exceptional in any way or whatever. And, uh, and so I just fed that BS narrative to myself for years. And, you know, I, I finally, at one point in my life, I was like, what are you doing? Like, this is, you don't have to be this. You can be whatever you want. And, and the military really helped develop that part of me. And, uh, I did it for, I did, you know, the first half of it on active duty. And then the second half of it, I did in the Texas national guard when I finally decided to go back to college and, uh, going back to school, uh, was, was, challenging. I mean, I, I, uh, I was a 29 year old freshman. I, I didn't, uh, yeah, it was just odd, you know? Hi everyone. If you've been injured in an accident, that was not your fault. Listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. But Yeah, you're, you, it's not a common thing. And I laugh because it must have, I mean, when you describe that word freshman, everyone gets this image of their mind and what a freshman yeah. in college <laughs> looks like. And they're not 29 years old. And you, it's, it's, How was that? It was weird. It was weird. I remember, I mean, just like walking around in a backpack on campus felt super <laughs> weird. You know, I hadn't done it since high school and definitely the looks. And it wasn't like people, it's not like, there's no looks of, of, it wasn't negative. People were just like kind of thrown a bit. You know, if I walk into their class and sit down next to them, it's just like, who is this, you know, <laughs> who's this old guy that's uh, sitting next to me? Um, and, but, at the, but honestly, especially in the football locker room, uh, but even around campus generally, uh, 
I was, I, it, it was, I learned a lot and, and everybody was very, not only like accepting, but uh, I think a lot of people enjoyed having me around and having me be I there. I think it would have been really cool. <laughs> I think it would have been cool to have a teammate, uh, a classmate who was that much older wiser had been through the military and then why not walk onto the football team go ahead walk on let's see try out for for the college football team even though you never played organized football in your life why not and i mean i think that i can't imagine not benefiting from someone like you in that in that in that experience so um you stayed all four years (laughs) hopefully i did yeah i did i stayed all four years um yeah, you know, I, I walked, I, I never played, like you said, I never played football before and I really regretted it because it was my favorite sport growing up. And uh, I grew up in the, the Bay Area. So the 49, it was like the 49ers dynasty when I was a kid. Oh, you know, yeah. When it went in Super Bowls and it was, it was amazing. And, and it was, it was like, I, you know, I started playing, I was soccer first and then I started playing Little League and, and, and then basketball. And I just, it was the same kind of thing. It was just this confidence thing of like, well, Cause I was, I was a good athlete, but not a great one. So I was never, you know, I was like the sixth man on the basketball team. And, you know, I was, uh, I was baseball was my best sport, but it probably it wasn't, it wasn't my favorite of the things I played. So I didn't put as, as much time into it. And with football, I was like, well, if I, if I try, if I go play football, I'll probably lose my spot, you know, on the baseball team or my starting spot uh-huh. or whatever. Right? And just like all these things that, in retrospect, none of them matter, but that's what we think about when we're, you know, 14 years old or whatever. And the things we worry about, especially for like a sports nut. And so I just never did it. And it like really regretted it. So I was like, well, if I, when I go to school, I'm just going to try out. So I do it, um, you know, made the team and eventually started long snapping and, and, and got on the field and, you know, had that played at Texas, had the opportunity in Seattle with the Seahawks. And when I got cut from that, I hadn't even thought about the transition yet because with the military, I went right into football. So I kind of had another mission and a locker room and team and all these things that I didn't know that I would need um, right there, you know, and it was, yeah, they were a lot younger, but in some ways you said wiser Uh, in some ways we don't, we're not that much wiser. You know what I mean? Like I still was like, I was 19 in a lot of ways too. And it was like, this was fun. And I was, you know, I was playing this, I was playing football and I had my, my brothers in the locker room and, um, you know, there's a hundred thousand people in the stands. Like it matters to a lot of people and, and, and it was special and it was cool. And so I had that thing I had to focus on and, and that, that challenge that I needed. And then when I, you know, when I got cut and I'd gotten out of the military uh, earlier that year in 2015, all of a sudden I had, both of these uniforms and locker rooms and the teams and all that. And, and now I got none of them. And I'm, I was 34 years old. So still, you know, pretty young and just feeling like, all right, what, like, what do I even do now? I considered going back in the military. And then I was like, I, uh, I was interested in the film and TV stuff, but I had no, I hadn't really started that journey and was kind of nervous about that. And I was at this, this crossroads and, and, Fortunately, I'd become good friends with Jay uh, Glazer. And, Jay, and how, how did that friendship start? So that started when I when I got done with, in college. I, I got I finished at Texas, started my last three years as a long snapper, but I was small. I'm, you know, I'm, I say I'm 5'11", I'm really 5'10", uh, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, I'm light, you know, compared to most of these guys on the line. And I was older and, and late to the party as far as playing. So I thought there's no way I'm going to have a shot in the NFL. So that, I mean, and 
understandably. So I was like, well, I'll just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll head out to Los Angeles. I'll finish my master's degree. I was doing an internship out here um, with a production company. And I was like, I'll do that and we'll just figure it out. And I'm like getting ready to head out there. And I get a call from the senior all-star game called the Medal of Honor Bowl. They don't play it anymore. They're, you know, as you know, they've got a few different like the, the Reese's Senior Bowl. And yeah, I don't know if they still do the East-West Shrine game. That used to be one of them. But anyways, they've got, you know, they've got those games. And it's like a showcase for these college players around coaches, um, front office folks, uh, you know, an opportunity for them to kind of uh, spend a week of practice with being watched by, by all these people and get evaluated with an opportunity at the next level. Well, the Medal of Honor Bowl, I think mostly because of the Medal of, Medal of Honor Society sort of sponsoring the game. And it was played at the Citadel out in Charleston and, you know, very like historic, kind of a cool, like not kind of, it was a really cool opportunity. So I go out there and I didn't realize all these scouts and coaches are going to be there. And a few of them, I met with like four teams and they were like, man, you got to put some weight on, but like, you should go for it. You know, you're good. You're a good snapper. Like, why not? And uh, I was like, yeah, why not? I mean, the worst happens, nobody calls. And so when I came out to LA, Jay has a gym here called Unbreakable Performance Center, which I'm actually in right now. I'm in the uh, MVP office of, of Unbreakable. And he trains a lot of uh, a lot of athletes who come up here and train from various sports, a lot of MMA, you know, football in the off season, stuff like that. And I met him. Somebody said, "Hey, you got to go up there, introduce yourself, just tell him tell him your story, and see what happens." And I go up here, and Jay was like, he just immediately embraced me and was like, "Hey, I'm, I'm gonna put you on scholarship. Don't worry about it. Uh, you know, we'll train you. We'll train you for this time, and um, and we'll see what happens." And he helped get me and sports agent and all that. And uh, sure enough, that was how I got that opportunity. I ended up getting a call from the, the Rams and the Seahawks on uh, the last day of the draft in 2015. And I went to Seattle because they'd been to back-to-back Super Bowls. And the team was just – there was so many characters on the team. And, and at the time, the Rams were in St. Louis. No offense to St. Louis, but and they, weren't very <laughs> go- they weren't very good. It just made all the yeah. sense to go to Seattle. So, yeah, so I went. and But, but then when I – when I got cut and came back to LA, Jay was like, Hey, you know, I know you're thinking about going back in and got all those other things, but like, there's a lot of people in your shoes right now, veterans and athletes, um, who feel exactly what you're feeling. And at some point you got to let the game go. You got to let the military go and, and move forward. And you can still do a lot of great stuff. It's not like you should just rest on your laurels and, you know, do nothing, but you know, it's a, it's a young man's game <laughs> for yeah. the most yeah. part. Yeah, and, and you're in your, you know, kind of early thirties, early to mid thirties at that point. Right. So when we come back from this break, we'll pick up with Nate. He's, he's now cut from the Seattle Seahawks, but he's, he's lived that dream for a moment. And he's talking with Jay Glazer for people who don't know Fox sports. He's their reporter. He's, he's just a great guy. Does a lot of stuff as Nate has elaborated. And so where does their relationship go next? Find out in just a moment. A food shortage could be coming even in the U S that's a quote from economic experts. So I'm not making that up. That's why survival food. Yes. Survival food is more important than ever. Hear me out. You can create a little stockpile of the best selling four Patriots survival food kits. 
So you're, you're always covered. This is not ordinary food. We're talking good for 25 years, super survival food, hand-packed right in a family-owned facility in the United States of America, giving jobs to over 200 Americans. The kits, they're compact, they're sturdy, they're water-resistant, they're stackable. You just put them in your pantry, in your basement, wherever. They've got different delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinner. You can make these meals in 20 minutes, just add boiling water. And right now, you can go to fourpatriots.com, that's the number four, and use code Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, including this three-month survival kit. You'll get their famous year-long guarantee after your order, plus free shipping on orders over $97. They're called Four Patriots because a portion of every sale is donated to charities who support our veterans and their families, and we say yes to that. Just go to fourpatriots.com, the number four, patriots.com, use code Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, and get 10% off. That's fourpatriots.com, code M-I-C-H-E-L-E, Michelle with one L. Start building your own stockpile and start today. All right, Nate. So you're talking with Jay Glazer and he's telling you, you know, might be time to to leave the uniforms, both of them behind. And and what happened next? So, um, you know, he he he'd been thinking about this for a while. And I didn't know that he'd been thinking about uh, a way to bring veterans and athletes together and help with that transition, you know, help with that that next stage in life. He tells this story. um often to people about his experience on 9-11 because he was in New York City and he lost uh, one of his best friends. And, you know, it was a tragic day for everybody, but I was, you know, I was, I was in Los Angeles. So it affected me in a big way, but in a very different way. It was more about, it was more introspective of like, you know, what am I doing? What's going on in the world that I don't understand? How, you know, how can I be a part of making a difference in some way? And for Jay, it was like he was there, you know, he went down to ground zero and he's trying to he's going to all the hospitals, trying to find his friend. And then he says, in the midst of all this, like fear and sadness and, you know, heartache of the moment, these he remembers these fighter jets like flying overhead, you know, at you know, thousand miles an hour or whatever. And he just like looked up and he felt as scary as that might feel like the deafening sound and all that. He's like, I felt this like overwhelming feeling of safety and like gratefulness and, you know, not that he wasn't appreciative of the military, but it was like, that was a, that was a moment that he really connected with, you know, it really resonated with him because it was yeah. real. And he was in the middle of that and he was like, okay, we're, you know, we're safe. Like, thank God. And, um, he, he tells that story, you know, and he's telling me about that. And he was just like, I mean, ever since that day, like, and, and being in New York and watching, you know, that season, uh, uh, later as the, as the Yankees make their run, you know, and then we get into the football season the next year and eventually Pat Tillman joins the military, all these things. Um, he's always just wanted to do something like that. And uh, after meeting me and, and me spending time in both of those locker rooms, he was like, I think we should do this together. Um, I'll call up some of my athlete buddies. <laughs> you call some of your vet buddies and, you know, we'll just get them together, bring them up to the gym and we'll get a workout in and, and, and hang out and just, I don't know. And, and that's how it started. It's, it's, and that's kind of what happens in the film as well. I mean, it's sort of how right. this develops it's different, different sets of circumstances, but people from either side saying we should do this. Uh, the first time you brought people together, how many do you think, how many pro, you know, athletes showed up and how many uh, vets showed up? 
Well, the very first, the very, very first one. So we're talking about it. And Jay's, you know, Jay, as you know, he's a super busy guy. And, uh, you know, especially during, during, uh, <laughs> during football season type stuff, it's crazy. Right. So I'm asking him, I'm like, when can we use it? When should we use the gym? What's a good time? He's like, Oh, I'm not sure. We'll have to figure that out because it I means an operating gym. And he wanted to make sure it was a time when we shut the doors and it was just for the vets and athletes, right? you know, so we could have that privacy. So I, I had been introduced, um, to a gentleman named, uh, uh Jim Zenner, who in the, in the movie, Dan Loria, who, who's the, he was the dad on the wonder years. Um, yeah. he, he plays that barracks administrator. He's actually a Vietnam veteran, which is a really cool. Oh, um, I didn't know side that. Story there. Really yeah. Super interesting. So the, the person he's portraying this guy named Jim who had started, uh, he, he was a homeless veteran himself and he had, he started this, uh, facility that was a place for these people that are transitioning that were having trouble in a lot of ways. Like a lot of these, these, you know, these people, a lot of these, 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 I mean, this place was all, it's all men, mostly infantry guys. A lot of them came from a really tough neighborhood, joined the military, you know, it's kind of escaping their, their circumstances. And then when it's over, they're kind of thrown right back into that place without much direction. And, you know, it was tough for them to recover and transition. So this place, this facility was called the Hollywood Veterans Center. And essentially it was a, it was a shelter, um, uh, a place where these people can get back on their feet. Um, you know, and they all have to participate and like help. It's almost like a little commune there and they're actively looking for work and trying to move forward. So I got introduced to Jim. He brought me down there and I met some of these guys and I'm sitting there talking to him and, you know, uh, uh, ignorantly I'm thinking when I go down there, Oh, it's, it's gonna, I'm thinking homeless veteran. I'm going to meet all these kind of probably a little bit older, maybe mostly Vietnam era, um, you know, that have, that are really struggling with staying clean and sober and like all this stuff. Right. And not that some younger vets don't have that. A lot of them do, but that was not the experience at all. When I went down there, most of them were younger than me. And, you know, just as I mentioned, like really just having trouble, you know, never, never had to uh, open a bank account or, or, you know, pay, pay bills and rent, like all this stuff and figuring out how to get a job. Like I'm meeting this guy that he's got back to back deployments, lost a lot of his men. It's, it's actually one of the people that is the Zephyr character in the movies loosely uh, is based yeah. on. Okay. And he was, you know, he lost a lot of buddies overseas, even more back home to suicide. And then he came back and was like, he didn't know what to do. He got a job at forever 21, <laughs> like stocking shelves. Cause he didn't know what else. And I'm yeah. like, in my mind, I'm like, man, you're so capable. Like people would love to give you an opportunity, but he just didn't see that in himself. And I kind of understood that because I felt that way at times. And so that, that jet individual, his name's Denver. He's on our staff at MVP. Now he's been working with us for like six years, which is awesome. He brought some of those people from the shelter up to the gym. And I worked out with him one day, like on a Sunday afternoon. And I called Jay afterwards. I'm like, dude, we got to do this again and bring, you know, when you can do it, bring some athletes up. So Jay doesn't just bring athletes up. You know, he brings in literally Randy Couture and like Tony Gonzalez and these like hall of famers and, and other athletes as well. But so the next week we meet up in there uh, with these vets and, and they're, you know, they see these guys and they're like intimidated. They're like, Oh, I don't belong in yeah. a room with Randy Couture and Tony. Gonzalez. like, no, this is, you know, what am I doing here? Jay Glazer is, I watch him on TV every week. I, I should yeah. be, you know, I'm not part of this group. And, and then we, we work out and we huddle up and, and to hear, just like we, we recreated in the movie to hear Randy Couture and Tony Gonzalez tell the stories about how 
they felt even inadequate and how, how tough it was for them to leave the uniform and, and the pride that they felt and not being able to, to share it with anybody because everyone looks up to me. I got to be strong. I got to be this tough guy. I can't admit that I miss it. You know, um, it was just something that it was for, for them to say that it was, it was, it was cathartic for them, but also to hear the vets be like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually feel the exact same way. And I have yeah. that same experience, even though I didn't play sports like that. I mean, I was in the military, but that's the same feeling I have and, and that connection. So it really just started from there and, and, and blossomed into, you know, eight chapters now around the country. And we're still, we're still growing as, as best we can. That's fantastic. And, and are the chapters around the country based where you're going to find more vets or more players or both? How do you both. how do you determine where you're going to open a branch? Both. Yeah, I mean both. I mean so far. So right now we're in Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Chicago, Atlanta, New York, Seattle, Dallas, and Phoenix. With New York, we're still trying to get back in post pandemic. Uh, every other place we're back up operating in the gyms um, and <laughs> kind of fully Go fully running. New York. New York's been yeah. tough, but we but it's an important place. There's so many vets. I think there's like a hundred thousand yeah. just in Manhattan. You know what I mean? Like there's wow. a lot. So, wow. it, and there's athletes. So like a place like that, um, you know, if it's a major sports market or a place where a lot of the athletes will go after the game is over, um, like Phoenix, for instance, where we're in now, a lot of athletes, Dallas, yes. a lot of athletes. Um, yeah. Those places make, those places make sense, but, but we're not going to hinder ourselves. If there's, if there's somebody, uh, whether it's a, an individual or a corporation or someone's like, Hey, I want to help fund a chapter in my city. Like we will go there <laughs> we'll figure that out. You know, we're, we're working right now on trying to figure out New Orleans and Tampa and Denver, all these other places. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, getting our ducks in a row, but, uh, but, but, but there's, 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 it's, it's maybe not surprising, but there are veterans everywhere <laughs> and, yeah. and they, they will, we'll find them. They'll find us. You know, that's not, that's the easy part, I guess. It's, it's just incredible work that you're doing. And you also had, and a lot of people may not know this, who were casual viewers of the NFL, that you had an influence over one of the biggest stories in America, in America, in NFL history, in American history, quite frankly. We're going to get into that. Does the name Colin Kaepernick ring a bell? Back after this. These economic times are dizzying, really, uh, with the cost of everything, inflation where it is, gas prices, all of it, and you watch the stock market and you go, holy moly, what do I do if I want to plan my retirement? Well, I would recommend part of what you do is invest in gold and silver. Precious metals can help protect you against a weakening dollar. They can be a hedge against inflation. And the only people I trust when investing in gold and silver, legacy precious metals. You need options. So why are investors turning to gold for protection against in a weakening dollar and a hedge against inflation? Legacy Precious Metals is the only company I trust when investing in gold and silver. You need the investment that's going to protect your retirement. Call them today, Legacy Precious Metals. You want to be proactive. Remember 2008? Those who invested in gold saw significant gains. Others lost their retirements. 
Here's a great long-term play. Speak to an IRA expert at Legacy Precious Metals. Get all your questions answered. 866-528-1903. 866-528-1903. Or download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. All right, Nate. So you notice... You know, you talked about how big a 49ers fan you were, and you saw that one of their quarterbacks, Colin Kaepernick, was sitting during the national anthem. And what what was your initial reaction to that? Well, yeah, I mean, my, my initial reaction was definitely one of, uh, like, hurt. Um, and not necessarily and, and selfish hurt, you know, not not hurting for for Cap and what he was doing, but hurting because the you know the flag, the anthem, like those symbols, melts meant something very special to me because of my time in the military. You know, I mean, it, mm-hmm. we've all got a different uh, connection to things like that, um, whether it be positive, negative, uh, based on our experience. And for me. You know, it was largely, you know, positive because of my time in service, um, you know, and I guess also negative in the sense or sad in the sense of like, I carried my best friend's casket that was draped in an American flag, right? And watched the folded flag be handed to his wife. So it just, you know, when I see those things, they, they mean something different. When I hear the anthem, the one game I played in, in Seattle with the Seahawks, and I was on the field for the anthem. I like bawled my eyes out. Yeah, um, it, you know? it's it's a moving for people who don't know. When you're standing out there, a lot of the times, if you're watching a game on TV, you don't know that the anthem is played before every game. And for me, having done so many of them, uh, it gets me every freaking time. Every time, it's just a moment of unity. It's a it's a moment of beauty. It's a moment of appreciation. And so you wrote an open letter to Cap and what prompted that? What did you, what did you think was going to happen? Oh man, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know what was going to happen for sure. Um, so it's, it's literally a year after I was, I had my opportunity in Seattle, you know, and was playing in the preseason. Now it's one year later, 2016, also in the preseason, you know, we've just started uh, operating MVP, you know, so we're bringing together these vets and athletes. We're doing this stuff on a weekly basis in the gym um, I have now finished my master's degree and I'm starting to like, uh, get some opportunities in the film and TV space, you know, everything's going well in that regard. No reason for me to, uh, jump into a, a, a national, which would become a global political conversation. Um, but I, you know, when, when that happened, as I mentioned earlier, I was a huge 49er fan and a big Kaepernick fan because when he got there, we went from being pretty average to back-to-back NFC championship games, almost won the Super Bowl, you know, and that was on the back of cap. Like he, you know, just changed it, changed it all for us. And I was like, I pulled for this guy. And then I saw that uh, and her, I heard about it first that he wasn't, he wasn't sitting, you know, he wasn't, excuse me, he was sitting during the anthem. He wasn't standing. Yeah. He was like sitting Um, on a Gatorade ice box or something. He or on the bench. He was not, at this point, he's not kneeling. He's just sitting. It's very clear yeah. he does not want to stand with his teammates for the anthem. So you hear about it, right. and then you see it. Yeah. And those feelings boil up. So you write this letter. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I got reached out to from, it was like CNN and Fox News and MSNBC. And they, I think they all wanted me to come on and maybe debate. That's what I, that's the sense I got, like debate why he's right or why he's wrong. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't, first of all, the reason he's doing this, uh, I, I, I agree with, I mean, the, the why that wasn't the focus initially, but it was like, he, you know, police brutality, um, social, social injustice, racial inequality, people not being held accountable. Like, I don't want that. If it was a military situation and we're out there, um, not, being responsible or being held accountable for when we do wrong or make mistakes, that's not okay. Like I wouldn't be okay with that. And we shouldn't be okay with that generally. But you also have to understand, you know, working in law enforcement is incredibly hard. It's dangerous. It doesn't pay very well. It's, you know, there's nuance to all this stuff. So I was just like, I don't, I'm not taking a side here. I don't want to do that. So I agreed to write an open letter through the army times, which is a small publication um, or smaller anyway, that, you know, it's kind of geared towards the military. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do anything. I'll just, I'll, I'll write this letter, write like an open letter to cap kind of through this medium so that people in the military will read it. And maybe if they have a strong opinion one way or the other, they will at least consider the other side uh, and sort of, um, I don't know, just, just find some reason in all this, you know, and, and kind of relax. I think a lot of people felt that way. A lot of people already felt at this point in 2016 you know, it's it's the middle of an election cycle. It was yeah, it was, it was Trump quite an election Hillary cycle, Clinton. right? Exactly. Yeah, Trump. Yep. It was all that. So it's like we've got all this stuff going on, and we're getting pulled apart. And I was like, well, you know, this is maybe there's an opportunity amidst all this to kind of help bring people together and at least have healthy conversations. So I wrote the letter just explaining my experience in the military, even before the military. I'd gone, I went to the Darfur and did some relief work. Um, in in like the border of Chad and Sudan, uh, and that that trip kind of spawned me finally signing up and joining. And I talk about that experience and, and experience in seeing that type of oppression in the midst of a genocide, you know, um, and how that really moved me to take action and to do something. And then serving in the military and serving alongside I- Iraqis and Afghan people, and uh, to, who I don't have a lot of similarities with culturally, and, and the customs are different, beliefs, but we still work together. And at the end of the day, when you spend a lot of time with them, you realize we're really not that different. A lot of those people became good friends of mine and people that I trusted. So, you know, I kind of talked about all that and then just said, but at the end of the day, I don't know what it's like to be you. I don't know what it's like to be a person of color. Uh, I I don't know any of these things. So for me to tell you this is right or wrong is, is, is not fair. I I haven't walked that walk. I don't know. Um, so I support, um, I support what you're doing. I, I, I look forward to the day that you're inspired to stand again. Uh, I'll stand right next to you, you know, and then I just signed it and when I sent it off and it was, it was really cool to see the reaction. And it started Michelle with, with honestly, with your community, with the sports writer community and the broadcaster community, because they, because of my short time playing that they are the ones who really shared it out, the outward, you know, it came out and then it was just getting uh, blasted on Twitter and all this stuff. And it got to, to Cap, and he ended up reading it and reached out to me and said he wanted to meet. So um, I met in the lobby of the team hotel in San Diego. They were playing the Chargers that night in their final preseason game. And Cap's starting, even though at, at the time he was a, a backup. I think the year before, two years before, he'd gotten hurt yeah. and struggled to come back. 
And so they, they brought on Blaine Gabbard, who was a starter. But in the final, you know, in, as we all know, in the last preseason game, if you're a football fan, the starting the starters don't usually play, especially the quarterback. Right. So Cap was starting that night, and it's like military appreciation night in San Diego. They're doing a flyover, like Navy SEALs jumping into the stadium, and he's saying he's not going to stand for the anthem, and like it's just already, you know, going crazy. And uh, so we we sat in the lobby. Uh, Eric Reed joined us, who was on the team at the time, and we just had a conversation about all of this, you know. And it was a very lighthearted conversation, like kind of like two guys in a locker room or three guys, I guess I should say, in a locker room that just uh, are talking through something, trying to understand the other's perspective and, you know, and and just. So you felt like it was an open dialogue. Did you did you (laughs) feel like they were hearing you? I mean, you you strike me as the kind of person, obviously, you were you wrote the letter in a very open minded fashion. Did you feel you were being heard? I think I, I absolutely. And, I, and at the end of the day, though, it was more about I wanted to hear that. I wanted to hear, like, what was the plan? You know, what's the plan? Or what's the what's the end state here? And it was it was so early on. Yeah. That I don't know if there, there really was one yet. It was just what. Well, I guess, it, you know, Cap's end state from what I gathered was until things change, I'm not moving. Basically, like until things start to change and we need to see some, some def- definitive action, not just from me and players. Like I want to see the country do this, you know, and it took a long time before things actually started to happen. It's, it, I feel like it wasn't until George Floyd four years later that things uh, really did start to actually happen. But, um, you know, he uh, but but he explained why and he talked about also. One thing that he, he, he made sure and did right out the gate, which I appreciated, was he was very thankful and grateful for my service. He said one of his best friends uh, was stationed just across the water in Coronado from where we were sitting, you know, and that mattered to him. And I thought that was important. And he, he then asked me after this long conversation, do you think there's another way I can protest that's not going to offend people in the military? Because I'm not going to stand until I see things change, but like I'm willing to hear if there's other ideas. And I was like, Okay, I mean that's. Uh, I appreciate that, but I'm definitely not the authority on what's offensive <laughs> and what's not, you yeah. know. Um, but I said to me, you know, in my opinion, uh, I think being alongside your teammates is the most important thing. I mean, they're from all all different walks of life, mm-hmm. shapes, sizes, colors, beliefs, um, and at, at the end of the day, we you got to go out on the field and you line up next to these people and you have one common goal, you know, and you got to work together. And that's a good lesson for just the general public. I think we do the same thing in the military. I, I got people on my team, you know, I don't say two words with when the, when the mission's over, but when we're out there, I know they would take a bullet for me. I would do the same. It's all about the people on my right and left. And so I said, I think being alongside your teammates is important. He said, he said, all right, like I, I agree, but you know, but I'm not going to stand like I've committed to this until things start to change. And I said, all right, well, then I think the only option that makes sense is taking a knee. Uh, you know, I, I think it, I think it would be better to show it, to me, it would feel more like you're proactive and also maybe some reverence to the situation because it, understanding and recognizing that it does mean something very different to some people, you know, to people in the military, for instance. Um, and he thought it was more powerful. Actually, he thought that was better. And so him and Eric took a knee that night, you know, during the game, I stood next to them uh, on the sideline and, you know, there was still 
a lot of booze from the crowd and it was just what was did tough, you make you know? of that i mean that just i just it just hurt me it hurt me for 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 them it hurt me for them but also for the moment i was like to, to me if this if this really means that much to you to 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 you know someone that's saying and how important this moment is but you're willing to you're, you're going to boo and you're going to focus it on what somebody else is doing and you're not making it about uh, what, why we're doing this, you know, why we're honoring America right now. If it's going to be about Kaepernick, Kaepernick and Eric Reed and whoever else, then like, you don't, you don't really, you don't really care. You know, that's, that's more offensive to me than kneeling, you know, to, to boo in that moment and right. to make it about that. Like, I, I just thought I understood where that, maybe where some of that hurt comes from, but like, that's not the action that makes sense. You know, that's not the way to react to that. And so I, that, that was, that was hard to hear. And, you know, and, and I got, I caught flack from people in the military I served with. And a lot of people reached out with, you know, all oh, your disgrace to the green beret and like saying these things. Because you were alongside them. Is that, that's yeah, why? Yeah. Because okay. I was alongside them and, and to them, I mean, some, some of the, the way that the news came out, it was just like, Sometimes people read that as well, Nate told Cap to pro- to protest. Ah, to Neil, yeah, yeah. And Nate, Nate suggested that Colin Kaepernick protest, and I'm like, that's not what I did at all. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, in any way, I just I if you read the you know if you if you're able to read the letter, you can see where I was kind of coming from. And then anyway, it's good to be able to talk about this and share that because a lot of people still don't know that you know. And it's, yeah, it's, I know uh, it's, it's true, tough. and you know in reading the the descriptions of, of your meeting with him and all of that and how this went down, it, it, it really made a difference to me. So I'm glad you're able to tell this story. Uh, what did you make, however, when, you know, Cap put out his Netflix series and likened the combine to slaves, to, to the slave trade? I mean, that, yeah, there was a lot, I had a lot of people, a lot of people reach out from football community and the military community about that. And it's like, they come back at me <laughs> again. Yeah, like, like, you're, you're like, now Cap's best friend, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't direct it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that was tough for a lot of people because understanding that, I, I, and I know where some of that imagery, you know, comes from that thought. Like I remember even being at the, in that at that Medal of Honorable and playing in the you know they had the day where they had all the players come in you know and you're just in your you're just in your tights and you know they're they're mm-hmm. doing body comp and like checking all these yeah. things out and so like from an image from an imagery standpoint I, I can see that but also the under, it, it, it's not you're there on your own free will first thank of all. you yeah and then yeah, that, and then that you are, is what bothered me the most Nate was yeah. that it, it, people get to try get to go to the combine it's a privilege to go to the combine you're there because if you're going to make it in the nfl you're going to make a ton of money this is no one's forcing you to do this so that's right. where the, the 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 breakdown really initiated for me and it, you know it, i think it's really difficult i we hear this a lot but it's really difficult for the average football fan to say hang on a second you know we right. know how much money y'all make we know how much money the, the league makes and no one's telling you you must go into the NFL. And right. so, you know, to lecture about it in this way. So, but, but in honesty, the whole interchange you had with Cap and, and the, the, the idea of kneeling, it, it, it made sense to me 
And, and I appreciated that story so much because I never really saw where he went from just sitting on the bench to taking the knee. Right. And Nate, you're the guy. Well, Amanda, it was a, it was a, yeah, I, I, I always will commend Cap and, and Eric for initiating that conversation. I mean, yes, I wrote that letter, but they, but he reached out to me and asked if he could meet. Yeah. And then he asked the question. So his willingness for him, what I always appreciated was when we sat down, at least in that moment at that time, it wasn't about, let me prove to you, Nate, while I'm justified in what I'm doing. It was never about that. You know, it was him asking questions and wanting to learn more and kind of, and, and I, and I appreciated that. And then the willingness to, to do something different, you know, I think there's a lot lost on that, you know, and I, and I felt like yeah. maybe there was an opportunity for him to remind people of that and say that. But I also would imagine when you got one side of this argument that's fully embracing you, pulling you in, you know, appreciating you and the other side, just kind of attacking you. It's hard to stay in that, in the middle, you know, it's tough. And, and I've done my best to do it and I haven't gotten nearly the flack and, and that, that he's gotten, you know, I'm, I'm sure I can't even imagine. So, but, but that, so that's gotta be tough. But I always thought like, man, if you could just stay there and, and, you know, and, and, and say, I hear you, I hear you, you know, this is why I'm doing this instead of kind of shifting all the way over to the other side of things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I always said he he and any other player who wanted to do that were well within their rights. This is about freedom of speech, about freedom of expression. They are absolutely within their rights. Whether or not you agree with them is up to you. Um, And if you choose to be offended by it, you know, I'm sort of with you in that it, it pained me because I did see it as something that was dividing us. And it, and clearly right. that whole, it was exacerbated by that whole election cycle with the divisive, 100%. uh, you know, uh, just all of it. It was this perfect storm. I wonder for, from you now, before I let you go, as a guy who served, as a guy who is bringing people together to help people heal, um, and clearly you're, you're, you and Jay, and I know Jay as well as you're patriotic. You, 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 you are, you want things to go well for this country. Are, how optimistic are you that we're going to find our way back to a more unified place? I'm, I, clearly the I, I, dog I, I, wants to know. <laughs> Tell me. Uh, I'm optimistic. I really am. I mean, and just to your point there, like, this is something I talked to, 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 veterans about when they're upset of the situation or they, they hear about it and they're like, why did you do that? And I'm like, well, it is, those are the rights we fought for. Like when we took the oath to defend the mm-hmm. constitution, it includes the first amendment and all those things. Like that's why we signed up to do Like that's literally what the oath says. So you signed up for this. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it because there's plenty of things you do in the military. We all did and do that. We didn't agree with, we didn't want to do, but it was like, this is what I signed up for. And that's one of those things, defending that freedom, defending that right. Um, but I'm also, I am optimistic and I think we need more athlete and veteran leaders who have that platform, have that respect to kind of, to step up, you know, and bring people together. Like that's gotta be the number one focus to me is like, whatever we're doing, it is literally all inclusive. When I say all inclusive, that includes people that are very conservative. You know what I mean? Like that includes that when we talk about inclusion and diversity, it has to include everybody. 
Um, but the more yes. we do that, and sports is a great way to do that, like a great way. I mean, uh, totally. You know, that you, that's why youth sports is so important, you know, because you just are you're forced to, you know, work alongside these other people that have these different backgrounds. But I think I do see the hope, and and I think we are survivors. We will. We'll, it'll get to a point where we'll we'll, we'll fix it because we have to. <laughs> I hope <laughs> this is my hope. Um, or we're just gonna, you know, it, it's just gonna continue to uh, continue to pull us apart, and and it's just yeah. not fun. No one wants to. It's not healthy. It's not healthy, and there it's there's no good ending there. There's no good no. ending there. The good ending is when we pull together and we embrace our differences and realize what we have here which is right now freedom and liberty to pursue what we want to pursue. And, um, you know, so I I love this organization. It's MVP merging veterans and players for people who want to find it online. It is remind me what it is because I took my classes uh, off. (laughs) All good. It's vetsandplayers.org. V-E-T-S-A-N-D. Vetsandplayers.org. Org. Right. When we're going to, we're going to share that with everyone. We're going to let people know it. Um, uh, and I recommend the movie. Uh, you know, it's MVP uh, with, yep. with Nate Boyer. And, <laughs> you know, there's a scene in there, Nate, where you go off. And I was I was like, man, it was powerful. It was powerful. I, I don't know where you summoned all that emotion. Uh, that's a whole nother podcast I'm sure we could do. <laughs> and maybe we will sometime because I it <laughs> was it was, you know, I, I just uh, I loved what you guys accomplished here. Um, I really do. And I love what you're continuing to accomplish. So thank you for joining us. And we'll do it again, I hope. Okay. Appreciate it. Yes. Go check out the movie and check out MVP. Check out MVP, everyone. uh, And you can, you know, like you said, see the film. It's, it's worth, it's worth your time. Everyone. Thanks for listening to Sideline Sanity. Thanks to Nate Boyer. Don't forget to be brave and do good. Thanks, everyone. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.